When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on the Fans First Sports Network. And if you want to listen to this episode as well as previous ones, feel free to like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us a nice rating and a review. By the way, as you might know, I forgot to say at the beginning, I am your host, Danny. So there we go, Chucks. I screwed up already. We got a, a lot to talk about today, so uh, let me bring in the crew here of Sam Lepresi. Hello, Sam. Hello, Danny. It's a nice week. Yes. When was the last time we had a nice week? Uh, not in April. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Chucks. Hello, Chucks. Hey, good evening, guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a while since we had such a positive week, and uh, while well, we're getting to the finish line of the season, so uh, slowly but surely getting uh, getting to the end there. It's been a long season, and... You know, a lot of action has happened, obviously, with the World Cup, which seems like a million years ago, doesn't it? So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's boogie. That's right. And uh, coming to us from somewhere in Mexico City, I believe, is Sergio Romero. <laughs> Hello, Sergio. Hey, fellas. Happy to be here. Uh, somewhere in, in Puebla, actually. I'm oh, going Puebla. back to Mexico there, City. So, better. you know, yeah, but happy to be here as always. Uh, disagree on the nice week. Just a brutal, brutal. The Celtics lost today. Uh, Sergio Perez had everything to to be first. Is to finish second. And Puebla is going to play in at night today, and are going to get worked. Like it's going to be brutal too. So, <laughs> just just bad results all over. I mean, I guess Juve did fine. I guess something went right, but other than that, just pretty bad sports day for for your boy. You guys smoked my fills this weekend, though. Yeah, well, I guess that's something. It's baseball, though. Baseball, like, I don't really start caring about baseball until, like, June. <laughs> I, I love Sergio. The, re- the reason why we're on this podcast, he's just like, yeah, okay, Juve won. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get to we'll get into it right away with the takeaways from the week that was. And uh, since he's so excited about Juventus's win earlier today, Sergio, what you got for us? Yeah, I uh, my biggest takeaway is that I'm really, really scared that we're going to screw over Samuel Thielen Jr. Because that guy, he played unbelievable today. Great game for him today. We've we've all been clamoring for more uh, playing time from, from Thielen Jr. ever since his, you know, star-studded cameo in, in, that, in those Benfica matches early in the season. And, and it was great to see him get a run. 
Uh, but if I read correctly, or if I saw correctly, he is, you know, not going to the under 20 World Cup with England in order to stay with Juventus and to to play more. And and I just really, really hope and wish that we do right by him and actually give him those minutes. And it's all like, oh, you've missed the World Cup to stay with Juve. And then, you know, you don't get a lot of minutes or you barely get a few cameo appearances here and there. So I hope you made the right choice and I hope we'll make right by him because he is a very, very exciting talent. And, um, you know, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing him more more from him on, on, on the rest of the season. Kind of a connected note, Matias Soule going to the Under-20 World Cup with uh, Argentina. So that should be fun. Is he? Yeah. Yes, he is. He was uh, he was on their roster. So Juve will have some sort of representation. He was on their roster, but was he released? That's the question. Yes. I believe he was. Max commented on it at the mm-hmm. press conference. I think right after the Cremonese game is when Soule is, is off. So Chucks is looking at me. Like he has something to say. So, Chuck, your takeaway from the week that was? No, no, I was just uh, looking at you and very engaged. And uh, I ah, see, uh, is that I, your, list, I, your listening face? I should know how many episodes are we into it. I don't think I even said at the beginning of the episode. One forty. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's the whole how to win friends and influence people. You know, uh, maintain gripping eye contact and all That's that right. fun stuff. <laughs> but yes, uh, my takeaway for the week is that just. It made this week made me realize the importance of squad depth and just having you know good backup players. And I love stealing other people's uh, <laughs> ideas. <laughs> I don't think anyone. I don't know. I never think anyone has uh, the takeaways that I do. So I always think mine are kind of just you know off. Yeah, weird. <laughs> but uh, and of course this uh, this is an audio platform. But anyway, uh, we see each other on video. So I saw Sam's reaction. To my- <laughs> I, I have to remind myself that we're you know. That were audio anyway um but yeah squad depth is yeah really important i mean obviously we saw hugani playing uh well you know big games he's played against uh what was it well obviously against atalanta and then i think also he played against it was napoli. Uh, napoli. napoli yes napoli and played you know very well in those games i mean very well for someone that has basically barely played the season that i mean at all so you know giving uh got the uh, a bit of a rest as well uh, which is which is good too. I mean, again, we remember, we forget that this is only Gatti's first season in the league and, you know, just kind of uh, managing his minutes, but then also managing his development and getting him into the spotlight, but then also giving him kind of a time to kind of, you know, get away, kind of rest mentally, kind of rest. And especially for someone like him, who's, you know, as we joked about, uh, was it, I think a week or two ago that the man is always, you know, on 100. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, all the time he's on 100, so it's good to give him a little bit of a rest. But yeah, I mean, not just Rugani. I mean, Pogba had a, you know some decent cameos as well. Just getting back to fitness, and you know, if he can be 100% fit, I, you know, he could offer something different to the midfield. Whereas Milik, you know, playing and yeah, you know, despite still that penalty miss that I'm still a little irked about. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, he, you know, him showing his value and giving Lavic a time to. Also, kind of rest and regain some, you know, regain some confidence. So yeah, just all around, just good squad depth, and you know, thankfully not really having any injuries. I mean, shout out to Deshilio for that, um, yeah, horrible. Uh, I think it was an ACL injury, if I'm not mistaken. So you know, really uh, wishing him a speedy recovery. Um, but yeah, just all all things considered, just good to have players who might not play that much who are on the bench, but then. Still, when they come on, they are 
ready to take their opportunity and still ready to contribute to the team. Because I think we underestimate how difficult that is. Like, you know, if you're not playing for a long time, just to have that match, that mental sharpness of like, okay, I'm like, I'm here now. Like, I'm so used to this kind of, you know, hanging out on the bench. But to really like be like mentally like back on it when you're not playing that much. Um, it's, you know, it's, I appreciate that that's not easy and credit to the coach and sports psychologist and just all the staff on that one. So, uh, yeah, um, if we can keep growing our squad depth and, um, improving the quality of our squad depth and, you know, we're uh, on a good track. Yeah. Since I added a nugget after Sergio added one, add one after you, Chuck's, uh, Juventus' sub against subs against Atalanta were Paul Pogba, Federico Chiesa, uh, Dusan Vlaovic and Philip Kostic. So yeah, squad depth is nice. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and it was decisive yesterday too, because or today rather too. Uh, yesterday, if you're listening to the podcast <laughs> on the day it came out, today well, when we were recording it now, because you know, I mean, it showed Gasparini had five guys. Gasparini had five outfield players available to him off of his bench. And then one of them gets hurt. And and then Volga, <laughs> the one guy that he could like use to kind of turn the game on its head from an attacking standpoint gets injured, you know, before he'd been on the field for 20 minutes. And, you know, you've got, you know, you're sending out Vlavic and and Pogba and, and, and Chiesa against guys who are tired because this has been a multi-week thing for Atalanta. And, you know, guys that just cannot replenish and then, you know, it's not like Espinini can just throw on Mary Demiral because he's got to chase the game. It was, yeah, that 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 was, I think, a, a hugely decisive factor in this game. And I'll, because Chuck stole mine. Transition. Hey, man. Great, great artist steal. <laughs> I, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pivot ever so slightly. Uh, and you did mention Mattia De Chilio, who, man. That was unfortunate because I, I, I remember I was watching one one replay angle on that and like you could see the moment that his knee popped. Like you could see that like half of his knee was in one place and the other half moved. It was oh, it was bad. But you want to talk about squad depth. That's a place where we don't have a lot is that right side. And so it's going to be very, very interesting to see what what Max does, because I highly doubt that Juan Cuadrado is just going to play six games straight from here to the end of the season. It would not surprise me to see Tommaso Barbieri playing against Cremonese in the slightest, because he's really the guy now. If you're looking at next man up on the depth chart from next gen, he's the guy. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens on that right on that right wing, because... It, you're going to have to keep guys fresh, especially Quadrado, given how old he is, as, as we finish this last week uh, and head into the, the last four games of the year. You know, you've got you've got Sevilla, these back-to-back two weeks, and then you've got the Milan game and the penultimate game of the year that might or might not be a huge deal. So, yeah, it, I'm very intrigued as to how we manage that that position now that it's, you know, the main depth on the senior team level is gone and um maybe hopefully the front office will actually get us you know some depth on the flanks these next couple of statements from the summer of 2020 2021 22 and now we're going into 2023 (laughs) tell me about uh, it i feel like we haven't had depth on that side since licksteiner retired exactly 
Exactly. So obviously we've we've got a lot to talk about and we've been focusing a little bit in the takeaways about Juventus's big win over Atalanta on Sunday afternoon. Uh, thankfully, uh, I was not able to stay awake long enough to watch it live, but I did watch it on huh. replay, mainly because it started at 3.30 in the morning where I live here in the U.S. So whether you're a fan of the win over Lecce or not, we are going to punt a little bit on that win. Thankfully, Juventus got, got a win over Lecce and didn't do what they've done numerous times over the last couple of years under Max Allegri. But this win over Atalanta was big for a number of reasons. One, because they did what they have been able to do the last few weekends, and that is take advantage of Lazio losing and jump up in the second place. Also, because they put some distance be- between themselves and fifth place, where AC Mil- Milan currently sits, so that there's a little bit of breathing room now in the race for the top four. And also, because as Sam mentioned, Max Allegri, del- or as Chucks and Sam mentioned, uh, there's a little bit of squad rotation going on, and we got to see the first start of one Samuel Illing Jr. and the first goal at the senior level for one Samuel Illing Jr. And I believe I saw that he is the first Englishman to score for Juventus. I want to say it's either in at least 30 years or since the 1960s. One of those two, I can't remember. But that was... A nervy performance at times. Obviously, you look at the final stats as Chuck's probably is pulling them up right now because he loves to pull up the final stats. And you see the shots and you're worried, but Atalanta, 24 shots, one of them on goal. It was a very good save by Mr. Uh, Surchesny, as the uh, as the professionals <laughs> would like to say. But I don't know. I'm, I mean, for as bad as April was for Juventus from basically the first game of April to the final game of April, here we are sitting in you know, the first full week of May and Juventus suddenly aren't playing as bad as they were in April. And I don't know that I I would say that's a pretty good change for the better. Yeah. It's, you know, here we've, you know, we've been talking the last couple, you know, in the last couple games about how many chances Juventus had been missing, which is a great change from talking about how Juventus wasn't making chances at all. Today was a little bit different. You know, like you said, Danny, there were the the there were not a lot of shots on goal in this game. No, I mean Juventus only had <laughs> Juventus had Juventus had four. Two of them were the goals. The other two were long range speculations by Paul Pogba. Neither one of which really he caught in a Pogba like way. But that's I think I I think that's just him getting you know getting back into the swing of things. Whereas Atalanta just was not hitting the target and. And not only were they not hitting the target, it's not like they were like missing sitter after sitter after sitter either. You know, they were settling for these shots for the most part that were missing. I can think of of really one or two where it was a situation where it was like, man, you should have hit the target with that. No ifs, ands, or buts. I think Mela had one. And I forget the, you know, I don't even remember any, any of the other ones. Uh, Duvan Zapata was was magically disappeared by none other than Daniele Rigani. The goat. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a, it was, it was a, de- it was a good, perf- it was a pretty good performance. It took advantage of the problems that Atalanta had coming into this game, which was, you know, they didn't, ha- they weren't going to, ha- they didn't have a lot to, to work with off the bench. They were down to their, you know, down to bear tax early on in terms of of who was starting you know they were hitting the bottom of their depth chart 
so it's you know it, it was a game where they were able to just kind of contain and then spring off but they also you know a, a little bit of luck the other way and we're talking about a different result here you know if if Chesney doesn't stop that shot from Coop Miners, which was really good if either Scalvini or Zapacosta doesn't hit the post, we're talking about a different result here. So as good as it, you know, as 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 good as this win was in a lot of ways, you also just can't wait until 90 plus eight in order to score your second goal. Cause, you know, Vlaovic and and that that when Zapacosta hit the post, it was right after Vlaovic had missed a one-on-one. I, I was a little concerned when Illing Jr. scored when he did, thinking to myself, oh boy, here come 40 minutes of <laughs> of of defending. And that's mostly what it was. Fortunately, Atalanta, you know, just wasn't able to to create the kind of, of siege mentality that they can create under Gasparini. Uh, and we were able to pull it out, but a lot was left up to chance. And that's one of the things that I hate about this Corto Musso business that Allegri loves to play is that you're leaving a lot to chance and one or two chances the other way. We're in a very different mood on this podcast. Yeah, I, I thought it was, it was, you know, I think we as a, as a whole, and that includes myself, might have underestimated a bit how much of an impact it was going to have to have an April with so many games, with, with such a, a big turnaround in terms of competitions, in terms of matches. And so it, it you know, it's, Maybe that's why it's not that surprising that, you know, in May you're seeing maybe a little bit of a better team, a little bit more of a refreshed team, guys coming back from injury, just having a healthier squad. All of that, you know, obviously helps. And, you know, at this point, Juventus is what Juventus is. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be, I don't think they're suddenly going to become a different team in May, June and, and completely turn it around and become a, guy, a type of team that puts, you know, 24 shots on goal or anything like that. Like, that's not going to happen. But as long as you you get this better improvements, just having a healthier squad, a better squad on on, on your back, it's, you know, it, it's going to help. It's bound to help. And, you know, no one likes it, but the fact that, you know, they don't have any Coppa Italia left, you know, that that's going to help. Schedule-wise, that's that's going to be a big boost, and especially with Sevilla coming up. I thought they they had the performance that they needed to have, which was, you know... Get the win because at the end of the day, you're still playing for that top four spot. But, you know, kind of have it controlled, kind of have it understanding that you're going to have to play in four days from, from today. So I didn't, you know, obviously wasn't the greatest result, but I did think it was controlled. I completely agree with, with Sam in the sense that Atalanta seemed like they were settling for most of their shots. Like they, they, they were not getting a lot of clear-cut chances. The one thing I will say I disagree a, a bit is, you know, sure, if a few breaks had gone the other way, maybe we're talking about a different result. But I, I just don't like to play that game because you could do the exact same thing for Juventus. Like, well, if, if they score one more of their chances, like that Di Maria shot just kind of curls a little bit more and things like that, then you're talking about scoring earlier and whatnot. Like, I think, you know, the Atlanta had their shots, but, you know, both teams play. I think both teams made made plays and... I do think it's a deserved win for Juventus. I don't think it's like a lot of games we've seen this season in which they win, but they win almost by luck or, or despite themselves. I think they, they had a good plan. They they played the way they know how to play in quote-unquote the best sense possible and, and got a result which they, they very much needed. So 
happy happy for the results, happy for the fact that they can get back-to-back wins with the win against Lecce midweek. Gets them out of that rut and in, in a good space mentally, at least, uh, to go against Sevilla midweek. Yeah, it was a it was a strange game. It's it's one of those games where there was a real disconnect between the the stats on you know just reading all the match stats and then the actual game game itself. Because obviously, you know, you look at the stats, you see all the shots that Atalanta had, and you know, I mean, a staggering fifteen shots of target. I mean, I'm just like honestly, as a coach, I would be infuriated. I'm like, oh, come on. 15 shots you didn't get on target. I can't remember a ratio like that. I, I can't, got I just 13 can't. here. Uh, I'm looking at live score, uh, live score I'm, stats. I'm looking at, I'm looking at who, I'm looking at who scored. I've got 13 off target. Oh, okay. So they, they separate shots that hit the post into different, into a different category on who scored. Yeah, that I think is yeah. the difference. Probably there. those two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So th- they've got on this, they've got two off the post, 13 off target, 10 blocked. Yeah, I got 10 blocked as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, as a coach, I would really, I would be furious because, you know, it's, it's the number one rule that, you know, every coach will say like, okay, you know, ideally you, you hit a, you hit a shot into the top corner, but at the very least, just make the keeper work. You know, if it's a simple save or not, I mean, just at least start with making him work. And well, they only made Chesney work once, which was that, I mean, free kick opportunity. Which even then you could say that that was, I mean, obviously that was a shot on target, but it was, I mean, it was a dead ball situation, right? So yeah, besides that, nothing. So again, it's like, sure, they created way more chances, but you almost have to look at the quality of the chances. If 15 of them were off target, I mean, what can you really say about the quality of the chances there? Um, so even though they did dominate in terms of chance creation, I mean, you would have to say, I mean, talking about that, you know, good old term of match control. I mean, if if that many, at a certain point, then the Juve defense thinks, well, you know, let's if they're going to keep shooting them off target, let's just keep forcing them into shots that are, you know, are difficult chances, or just it's forced them into shots where it's unlikely to get uh, get on target, which was clearly what happened. And you know, I looked a little a little more detail on indeed on who scored, and you look at the difference between the shot zones of the two teams. So you know, what area of the pitch that. Um, both teams had their shots. So Atalanta had zero shots from uh, the six-yard box. So just, I mean, the goalkeeper area there. And basically half and half in terms of in the box and outside of the box. So 46% of their shots were in the in the box and then 54 outside of them. Juve, in contrast, had 10% in the six-yard box, which is probably just the one, the goal, right? <laughs> the Link Jr. goal. <laughs> and then 60% actually in the box. And, and then thirty percent outside of the box. So sure, we didn't have that many chances, and you know, at the it feels like had... a development, by the way, because it feels like yeah, it's, it's felt yeah. like the ball. We haven't been able to get those balls into the box lately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, is that a blip? Is this you know, is that an anomaly? I I would say probably yes. I mean, one sample, one match here, but um, who knows? Maybe maybe you know, we'll keep doing that. But so again, to that point of like, okay, in terms of shots, just aggregate number of shots created by Atalanta, you know, yeah, there are way more than not than we did. But the quality of those shots, again, the stats just show that the quality of those shots were mostly outside the box. And, you know, if they're outside the box, they're by definition more difficult to score. Whereas the few chances that we had, we were 
predominantly, I mean, just far greater quality shots. I mean, 70, 70 percent of our shots were inside the box. I mean, that's really good. Again, a few shots, but still, that's very good. So it's, it's again one of those lessons of like, okay, you might have fewer chances and fewer opportunities that you create, but it's all about the quality of the opportunities that you do create. And Juve in general got a few blips, but in general, as I've said, you know, many times, we don't create much, but generally, we if we create something, it's either a goal or a decent chance. I know we don't quote XG much on this program, <laughs> although it's kind of ironic because now I'm quoting it for the second straight episode. I was actually going to ask you if you checked it. Juventus and Atalanta basically had the same XG, which Juventus was right at one and Atalanta were 1.09. So, I mean, it's basically the same. So basically what Chucks was alluding to, all of those chances that Atalanta had, the 24 chances, you know, the 24 shots that they took, I mean, a lot of them were, you know, kind of, take the shot and hope for the best. It wasn't necessarily, say, like a Dusan Vlaovic late in the game, you're basically watching it go right into the top corner right as he struck the ball. So, yeah, it, it, it just speaks to how, I mean, kind of the, the bend but don't break mindset that Juventus' defense really had in this game. I just went back through my notes and I could see two shots in the first half that Hazelic totally botched. Yeah. Like both of those, he should have scored. Yeah. I mean, the, I think what it was, what, 18 or so shots that they, yeah. the two teams combined for in the first half, and none of them were on goal. None of them were on target. There were two really good counterattacks that both of them ended up at the feet of, at the foot of Pozlich, and both of them he, he missed them. The other one, apart from the two posts that, that was really, that was like close, was a shot that Mela had. I think from like either just outside the box or just inside the box that kind of flashed wide. But those were the only three times out of my notes where it was just where it was like out of all those shots that were that that weren't off target. And there were a lot of shots of the uh, crowd in Bergamo of uh, Atalanta supporters basically putting face to face to forehead like how the <laughs> hell did you miss that? And yeah, there are different shots every time, but you would have sworn they were the same one, but they're different. And, you know, that's that's also an interesting thing in terms of coaching. Then I think about from the perspective of Atalanta, I think Gasparini then probably did coach a good game because, I mean, they created a lot of opportunities. But then his players didn't, the execution of, you know, the players was poor. And, I mean, as a coach, what are you going to do? I mean, at the end of the day, it is the players that finish the chances. But clearly in terms of the game plan, I mean, created, you know, lots and lots of shots. but. Then yeah, it's it's that separate. I guess it's that separation between there's only so much a coach can do, and then it's up to the players. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it, what you can do at, at the end of the day is generate those chances. But I agree hundred percent with Chucks. Like, you know, it, it's great that you're getting a lot of shots, but if it's a bunch of shots that are off target or not good, that you know you're settling. And I think that was a great word, great term that Sam used. They were settling for opportunities because they they just had all this possession, like. 60% possession and they just couldn't really get a great shot on or a great opportunity and just, just start saying, hey, let's pepper them and maybe one of them gets a deflection if something happens. Luckily, it didn't happen, but it, it was, despite what the stats might say, I did think it was a, a sort of controlled game. Like the ones that we saw in, in those stretches in which Juventus was playing really well. It, it, it felt like that. I guess we can use this as a transition to get into Europa League talk. Uh... 
obviously you you don't want to see you Juventus uh sorry couch the bed right on the eve of a uh, of a big European semifinal but uh you know to see them play this way I mean is it is it giving you a little more optimism about uh facing Europa League specialist Sevilla or uh I would think we're feeling a little bit better about this team now a couple weeks removed from everything that happened in uh in the month of April because man if if Juventus were rolling into uh, Sevilla the way they played in April compared to the way they played against Atalanta uh, earlier today, I, I I don't think I'd be at least having any sort of hope of Juventus getting uh, getting past Sevilla in the uh, Europa League semifinals. And and that's the thing, right? Like, we have seen Juventus have good stretches. Like, it's not like they're completely incapable of playing well here and there. They, they've had stretches, right? Like, uh, they, they were playing really well before the latest international break. That game where they beat Inter pretty convincingly, like it looked like, oh, they're finally turning a corner, and then the international break, and then April, and then game after game after game after game, and it was a pretty bad April, all things considered. So th- this is this is the thing with this team. Like I- I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Like they can beat anyone on their day. They can beat anyone, but they can also lose against anyone, and you don't really know which team you're gonna get. Uh, it sure as hell feels better right now than it felt, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but, you know, I, I think if you want to stay positive and if you want to think about Juventus finally taking this form and, and closing out the season strong and, and, you know, maybe making a, a run at the final in the Europa League is that, you know, what, what we were talking about earlier about having a full squad, like having a full depth of squad, like having guys like your Illing Juniors, who is suddenly maybe a contributor, like having Paul Pogba back, who still can't play more than like, I don't know, 25 minutes, but still those 25 <laughs> minutes are suddenly looking really, really good, like like he did against Lecce, right? Like he played 17 minutes. It was nothing. But he looked like a like a, like the type of player that they thought they were getting. And if you can start to get those contributions from guys that had honestly given you nothing, suddenly this team looks, you know, the coach is a coach and the tactics are tactics, but you have at least more talent and more guys to throw out there. And in knockout ties and knockout competitions, you just need a flash. You just need maybe uh, Paul Pogba coming in and playing 20, 25 minutes of really good football, and that's good enough to get you into a final. So it's it's a little bit more optimistic than it was two weeks ago, for sure. But it's still... I, I wouldn't go as far to say that Juventus should be favorites or anything like that. I think I think we're still pretty far from that, but it does feel a little bit better today than it felt two weeks ago. Yeah, and... Um... I, I mean, in terms of your question, uh, Danny, for, you know, how we're feeling about the team, uh, I think it's I'm kind of 50-50 because I try to look in, at, at, like, our record against big teams. That's been one thing that I've been... No, I don't want to look at that. It's not good. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 not... First, I first thought, like, just off the top of my head before I looked at, like, the stats, I was like, oh, that's probably pretty bad. But then, you know, I looked at it, it's... I think it's not terrible, but it's definitely not good. I mean... You look at Atalanta, so, I mean, just looking at the top seven. So, Roma, you know, draw and a loss. Uh, Atalanta, um, what was it, a, a win and a draw. Milan, a loss, and then we started to play them in a, in a week or two, I guess. And then Inter, you know, two wins. It's pretty good. And, of course, Lazio, a win and a loss. And, well, Napoli, two losses. So, it's, I mean, it's not horrible. I feel like it was worse last season that we were really like we, I would have to look at the stats, but I feel like last year we 
barely beat anyone in like top six, top seven. So, I mean, that's really what I try and think about it when I look at like the semifinal coming up, because that's, you know, the big game um, against not only Europa League specialists, Sevilla, but also they're really, really kicking into form. Uh, I mean, frankly, the best time possible for them, obviously not for us. But uh, yeah, I mean, imagine the best time possible, especially because they were really, really looking at relegation at a point yeah. uh, in ever, the league. Ever since their new manager came in, they've yep. they've been yep. playing much, much better. They've gotten that new manager bounce and run with it. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So um, I'm feeling um, not super optimistic, not because of necessarily Juve's form, but just because I genuinely do fear Sevilla in the circumstances just you know, given again their context in uh, the Europa League and just a recent form that this is, you know, really, I mean, they're just kicking into form just brilliantly. And this is the opportunity they have to get something from their season. Uh, they're obviously not going to qualify for anything through a league position. So this is the chance they have to, I mean, really end the season on an incredible high, given how low it was just, I mean, two months ago or so. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at, at at Sevilla, there's a whole lot of, you know, it, it really is up in the air, but there's a whole lot of experience on this team when I look at it. You know, you've got Ivan Rakic, who has won Champions League titles, who has won Champions League titles against Juventus. In fact, he scored in that in that final. Thanks uh, for bringing Berlin. that up again, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You've got two guys who are big players who just brought Morocco into the semifinals of the World Cup uh, in Youssef and Nezri and, and Yassin Bonu. Bonu, in particular, is going to be a big factor in this because when it comes to, to Champions League ties or Champions League or Europa League ties like this, goalkeeping is always becomes one of the big factors. And as we saw in the World Cup, both of these goalkeepers can take over a match. And and just overall, also some some. I was looking over their roster just now. Some familiar names here. When you look at it, you've got uh, Suso. Remember him? No. Uh, he yeah. he was at AC Milan. Eric Lamella's there now, uh, and uh, Jesus Corona's there now, I believe. Right. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is uh, coming back from injury, so. Don't know how many minutes he's getting right now, but he is. Like they're not a bad team. They're not a bad team, and I think that's why it was such a shock in their league position. Like if you just look at the league position and have not followed like Sevilla at all this season, you would think like, wow, this is going to be easy. Like uh, Juventus should be heavily favored. But the reality is that they underperformed a lot during the season. They changed their coach, and now they're suddenly looking a lot better with good, talented players. So. This is, you know, even taking out the Sevilla Europa League juju that everyone knows about, it, it's still a good team. And for all the things we might talk about Juventus, they haven't showed that they consistently can beat good teams. So, um, yeah, that, I, I hope, I want to believe that they're going to take this form and, and have a good performance and and make a final for, for the first time in a while. But, you know... It, it's still tough to to really put a lot of faith in, in Juventus, especially considering how tricky a team like Sevilla can be, which, you know, considering everything Sam said, just a, a good team, a good, tricky team. If there's any, um, if you want to look at the positives, Sevilla's had two games this week, one on Monday and one on Friday, fourth, 
seven, six, five, and Thursday, maybe. I don't know. They had, but they've had two games this week. They lost one. They won one. They've given up four goal. They gave up four goals over the two games, two in each. So if there's something to to be said, you know, maybe they're a little bit they're they're starting to get a little bit leaky all of a sudden, which would be a nice uh, uh, a nice thing to start seeing from them right about now. What were they? They were right at right towards the relegation zone, and now they're up and back up in eleventh. Yeah, go figure with that. But yeah, I I think that Juventus on their day, given the talent that they do possess, should be in a vacuum favorites. But obviously, you've got all sorts of other stuff going on with, you know, just the bump in form that they've had. And like we've been saying, like we've been saying for a while, weird happens when Sevilla play in the Europa League. So who knows what's going to happen I think it'll be two good matches. And I I know I've been saying this about, about all the two-legged ties, but it's you've got to come out and really fire in the first leg at home and take something back for the second leg. I would not want to go to Seville and have to uh, and have to run a comeback. I just would not like to I, I just don't think that's that's a situation that you can put yourself in. Well, you've been saying the same thing about the uh, first leg being at home because all of Juventus's first legs in the Europa League have been at home. Yeah. And also the inter the, the inter tie too. Yes. It's been all first legs, but you know, it is important. It's not as and you know, it's not as important anymore in terms of the optics of it because the away goals rule's not there. So, you know, say, you know, you win, you know, you win three to one, it's not like that one goal suddenly like you know, turns radioactive on you like it did for for Juventus a couple of times in in the Champions League over the last few years. But you want to get that win, and you you want it to be a convincing win, I think, in in this first leg. Because otherwise, I don't know. It's 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 just a. I I do not want to go to Spain down. Yeah, and they've uh, they score. They've been scoring quite a decent number of goals, especially at home. And obviously there was that, you know, thumping win against United uh, 3-0 at home uh, in the second leg of the uh, quarterfinals. So, um, yeah, we... Uh, United's been ha- making a habit of self-destructing lately, if anybody looked at what yeah. happened to them today. Ooh, double the hair. Ooh, boy. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> They're a little inconsistent indeed. But, yeah, so, I mean, watch their, you know, watch their attackers, of course. Um, um, I think they have, uh, what was it, Brian, Brian Gilles? Gilles, I think it is. Um, you pronounce it. He's... Uh, you know, on loan, I think as well from Spurs. Yield. I would say. Yeah, I think that I think in I think in Spanish it's pronounced yield. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Sergio. Yes, that is correct. Aha. Aha. He's done very well, and and you know, it's 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 interesting because you can't, like you've been saying, and like you, you know, you were saying, Sergio, it it's difficult to go off of just stats as to like you know who's their leading scorer because they've been struggling so hard this year, like. You know, nobody there has 10 goals in La Liga this year because they were struggling that hard. Like Juventus. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and and Nesri is the guy that you want to stop. And Nesri is the guy that is really going to be, you know, he was their leading scorer in all three of the major competitions they've been in this year between League, Champions League, Europa League. You know, obviously coming off that great, World Cup run as well. He stopped, I believe it was the uh 
uh, it was the Portugal game where he his goal was the difference to send them into the semifinal. That's the guy that we're you know if you're going to plaster Bremer onto somebody, it's him. That's the guy. If you know where he is, then you can hopefully get the rest of the team defense to to do what it did today and just make them really not settle. But you've got some really good players here. You know, Gonzalo Montiel, World Cup champion, I who I just realized is up there too. It, it's come as come can, and I think it's it's going to be a very very difficult two games, but winnable if we do it right. Yeah, for sure. At the end of the day, you know, that's cop competitions. That's knockout competitions. You know, it's, it's, you know, you can throw out pretty much everything else that happened the rest of the season. It's the form you're in, you know, the, the, whether or not you have any big injuries. Uh, that's really what matter, what matters. You know, it, it really, at this point, it really doesn't matter if Sevilla had a really rough first half. It's really about these two games. And I agree with Sam. I think if they, if Juventus can play to the level that we've seen them reach this season, you know, I think they, they have, you know, they have enough in the tank to 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 move forward and to get to the final. Uh, it's really going to depend on how, you know, luckily uh, Dusan Blahovic, which we haven't really talked about him, but luckily back-to-back goals, he seems to be kind of getting in the, back into the nick of things. The, the goal he scored against today against Atalanta, that felt to me like the like the goal of a of a striker that's kind of feeling himself a little bit again. You know, not not even commenting on on the, on the whole you know, celebration, everything. I know everyone here feels kind of the same way, but, you know... Lost a lot of respect for Giampiero Gasperini today and his post-match, yeah, too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and you know, just what... Th- that shot that he did, you know, on the post of the goalie, right in the... I mean, right in the angle. Just a beautiful shot. Like, I mean, this is a guy that two weeks ago, you know, he couldn't buy a goal to save his life. Like, he was missing sitters. Like, he was doing nothing. Now, the fact that he not only has the confidence to attempt those shots, but make them, it just speaks very well of him and, and the talent that we all know he has. So if you have a guy like Blagovic firing, if you have a guy, again, like Paul Pogba, who suddenly can give you something and can play well, if you have guys that are in good shape and good form going into these matches, that's what matters. And, you know, for all that Juventus has been through this season, these last couple of games, that's as good a form as you're going to get from them. So I, I think they have a decent, decent shot at getting a good result on Thursday. But, you know, again, Knockout ties, Sevilla, Europa League. You never know. All right. Well, we will wrap this episode up with, off with a little off-the-field talk, and that is because Juventus in recent days has very much been linked with a new sporting director, as the Italian media has basically identified filling the sporting director role as Juventus's top priority for the summer months. And that is very much an important thing because it is said sporting director who assembles the roster. So. You know, one goes with the other, right? That's kind of how mm-hmm. this thing, whole thing works. And the main name that is very much being thrown out there right now is the man who uh, has assembled the the squad that just clinched the Scudetto a few days ago, and that's uh, Cristiano Gentoli over at Napoli. So uh, I don't know. I think uh, you know, outside of probably Beppe Morata, this this seems like a pretty good guy you can get, huh, guys? Yeah, I mean, there there are a couple of other interesting names uh i know that there was i think it was atletico somebody from uh, i think it was atletico madrid sporting director that they were looking at was it atletico madrid or somebody else uh i'd, I'd seen a couple of other names and you know if it, it would be in my opinion very very nice if steven zhang's uh financial situation imploded to the point where beppe just jumped ship and came back home but um 
the fact of the matter is that the sporting director position has been a mess since Beppe Marotta was forced out of it. And, you know, Paratici was, you know, he was a tail chaser. He wasn't a, you know, he, he, he chased the stars. He, he wasn't necessarily, you know, he wasn't a roster builder. And that, that's become very, very clear. I think Federico Cherubini was more so a roster builder than Paratici was. But he was ham, you know, he only had, you know, the, the season and a half before the scandal and, and now he's suspended. So, yeah, I mean, Giuntoli had, I mean, Giuntoli has found some really great guys and that's, you know, and he's found real, you know, diamonds in the rough. I mean, look at, look at Kvarachkalia, look at Oshiman. I didn't know who Victor Oshiman was really before, before he went to Napoli. I mean, granted, I don't pay that much attention to Liga, and I probably would would know who he uh, was if he, if I paid attention to Liga, because he had been doing pretty well there. But Juventus has not found those those smaller transfers from the money standpoint that turn into huge players. They haven't found like the the Vidal's of the world in a long time, and I think part of that was because. Andrea Agnelli and Paratici under him got Galactico fever and were obsessed with getting just like big established names. And that caused a deterioration in this level of scouting there. You know, my 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 friend Mattia, who, you know, has I've I've mentioned him a lot. He's the guy that helped me translate when I uh, interviewed Andrea Pirlo a few years ago. And and he's obviously in my. uh, my club thread a lot. He he has bemoaned this multiple times. The fact that Juventus aren't finding, you know, like the Lautaro Martinez's of the world, you know, like, you know, Interfine, he, he said, you know, Interfine's Lautaro, we found Caio George. Granted, who knows? <laughs> it, you know, if Caio, you know, maybe he gets his knee right and everything turns out better. But we haven't had those guys that have we've kind of dug out of the dug out of the earth a little bit and who've been real transfer hits and bargains. And so if a guy like Juntoli comes in, he's done that at Napoli a lot. So that that I think would be very encouraging. And just like like you said, Danny, he's a you know, to have somebody in that position that is a a full on roster builder who makes a team that functions together as opposed to all the Paratici teams, which were a bunch of, of big names that all played in their own little bubble. That will be huge. So if you do get Gentoli, that's great. I think I don't think his contract is up at Napoli, which means getting him away from the Laurentiis is going to be like pulling teeth. Yeah, I think I think he's got one year left on his contract at Napoli. Yeah, but... And and it was interesting in that he did not confirm or deny when he, yeah, he had when some, he was asked he about it. He had some very cryptic quotes during yeah. Napoli's Scudetto celebration, which to some I've seen have basically been like, these are quotes that are essentially saying goodbye without saying goodbye. Yeah, it, it could have been when it, whenever someone it's uh, it's like Bull Durham, you got to work on your platitudes. <laughs> Whenever someone starts talking like that, I think it's a, you know, you do, you do get a bit of a sign. So yeah, maybe, maybe it is coming. Uh, and if it does, 
you know, I, I think he would certainly be the best guy sitting in that chair since Pepe. Yeah, so I don't have uh, as much to say on the uh, uh, Juntoli uh, as Sam uh, Sam did. Um, I just don't know much about him, unfortunately. So I appreciate Sam's uh, more in-depth insight on that. I guess from a, just a very general perspective, um, I think what I'll be looking for, interested in uh, knowing is, uh, I guess, two things. One one main thing and then one kind of side thing. The main thing is um, just kind of the the relationship with the next-gen team and the Primavera in general that, well, hopefully our future, let's, let's just assume he'll, he'll come. Um, for simplicity um you're here now so you know if Juntoli comes and then what will the relationship be uh, between him and and uh, the primavera team and just the you know whole next gen squad because that is one of the things um it's been a bit doom and gloom in the last few years at the club but that is one of the things that has not been so doom and gloom and that has been one of the you know very positive spots uh, or very you know bright spots uh just of the last few years at the club and and in terms of just the management and the the senior kind of yeah technical management there so you know that's been a good thing and how will he kind of keep that good thing going how will he you know in terms of recruitment how will he look at like the relationship between between the senior squad and the and the younger squad and you know this season was um I saw a stat just now uh, regarding, I think it was Ealing Jr. was the sixth or seventh player that Juve played who was born after 2001, or since, yeah, since 2001. Ealing uh, Jr. was the sixth player born since 2001 to start a game for Juve this season. So, you know, the youth has, you know, that's been a big theme this season. And that number was only bettered by uh, Hellas Verona, who had nine players. Uh, since 2000 played this season who were born uh, 2001 or later so you know if we continue that push for youth and integrating youth from primavera and into the senior squad you know how how will that look like in terms of recruitment are you not just recruiting senior players to go straight into the squad or are you gonna you know are you how much are you gonna divide that time that focus between you know that and recruiting like you know real young players first go into the youth team and then you know gradually go up uh into the senior team so yeah i'll be i'll be curious to see that and just kind of you know what his general philosophy is on that i mean that's an interview question <laughs> a job interview question i guess and the second thing i mean that's just kind of i feel like the usual question with sporting directors uh, is just the relationship between him and the coach in this case Allegri, for if he still is there next season or you know beyond that yeah how much of a say will Allegri have in transfers versus, you know, Juntoli, uh, if, you know, again, if he comes. That's always, I feel like, with every sporting director, I feel like that's always the number one question, you know, and how much how much will each one has, uh, have power and, you know, how does that relationship kind of work? I always feel like, um, it's kind of off topic, but I always feel like English clubs have been reluctant to have that role, to have that position at clubs because they just, I mean, this is just me speculating, but I feel like that it's because they just were never able to figure out that relationship between like how much power coach has versus the sporting director. I mean, Spurs obviously I uh, teach you well had, <laughs> oops, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, just that, that, that balance there. That's a, I mean, it can be a power struggle and it's a difficult one to, to kind of navigate, but um, yeah, we'll be curious to see that too. 
Well, I have a question off of your question, and if is if Gentoli does come to Juventus, if he's going to be building a squad for Max Allegri, because as we've seen with yeah. Napoli, they play a very different kind of football than Juventus. So is Gentoli really going to essentially be cool with basically building a building a squad that, if Max is still around, is basically essentially the polar opposite of what he was just essentially constructing in Naples? So, I mean that that's that's kind of the first thing that popped into my head when when I when I've seen these rumors. Well, what the thing that I think is is key, one of the keys to what you just said was if Max is still around. Yeah. You know, Sergio Sergio and Sergio has brought this up a couple of times, you know, this is a board that did not bring in Max Allegri. This would be a sporting director that has not brought in Max Allegri. Sometimes when the front office changes like like this, they want their guy. Obviously, it's going to be very expensive to bring in their guy, given given what's left on Max's contract. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. And if Gentoli, and is that the you know one of the things that that would is that a domino that would fall if Gentoli is hired? Is that he gets his guy in the manager's office? You know, maybe you know maybe. Maybe to lessen the blow, Max is is shuttled into some sort of front office director's role. Vice President Max Allegri. Vice President. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, or or you know something of that nature. I mean, there there was even a a report coming that I spotted. I, I wasn't. I, I didn't think that it was particularly. What's the word I'm looking? I didn't think it was Reliable. particularly. Reliable, that's the word I was looking for, <laughs> that the team was considering moving Max into the sporting director role and then hiring a new coach off of off of that. You know, that's, I, I mean, I would like that because it would get him out of the manager's office, but... There's no way in hell he would do that. There's no, no way probably not. He, pro, the, the, no, there's also no way in hell he would do it. But that is a major question mark now with just such... A huge churn in the front office. The I, mean, I guess the only check to that idea is the fact that he very much has the comp. He seems to very much have the confidence of John Elkin right now, and John Elkin is, and John does have final say as business daddy at the end of the day. So if if they want to bring in somebody else and John Elkin vetoes that. Then I guess they're out of luck. But until that point, unless that's tried, I have to think that the that with a new sporting director, especially if he's not a company man, because this is another that's another thing about the whole thing with Gentoli, is that he would be the first guy in that sporting director role that would not be an interior exor guy since Marotta was brought in from Sampdoria. Yeah, there's been a lot of promoting from within. And I th- and I've said before that I think that that's probably a, a a cycle that Juventus needed to break because they weren't you know, they weren't getting any fresh ideas. It was just recycling, you know, recycling, recycling. So, you know, if you get that all of that outside influence and Allegri is still here, then that's Elkin and and nobody else that's making that decision at that point, I think. 
from from my extreme outsider's perspective yes, with no this is with this no is all with, speculation nothing with but all spec you know extreme speculation but but i would i would say that's probably a big reason a, a big piece of why is is elkin yes this sergio had to dip out a little bit early but this is very much sergio's favorite conspiracy corner <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, just just a little note of promoting with it from within versus not doing so. Yeah, it's I go back and forth about that because you know, in traditional you know business administration kind of uh, MBA classes and all that stuff, this is a pretty common debate. And I feel like from just the classes I took in college on this, that a lot of I guess managers or, or companies in general do prefer to to promote from within because of just that knowledge of the institution that comes from that. Um, you don't have to spend all that time training someone on, you know, this is the company, this is, you know, who we are, this is how we work, this is all the staff you have around you, et cetera, et cetera. So that, and it it, it also incentivizes staff because they know that there's a path of promotion, so it incentivizes people to work harder. That said, I, I and to your point, Sam, I also agree that promote or hiring from the outside gives that outsider perspective or that beginner's perspective in the sense that okay you know there are no stupid questions because i mean i'm i did not work i've never worked here i've never worked with you guys i don't know you so i'm gonna ask lots of questions which are questions that a lot of people or other people from within might not have considered because it's like it's so obvious you know and then you don't ask the obvious questions but there are so many questions i mean i'm sure you guys have learned that just through your own professional experiences there are so many questions that like people either don't really have an answer to or just say like, oh, I don't know. That's just the way things have always been done. And those are often the, the exact areas where a lot of innovation can happen. You know, the whole, you know, oh, this is how things have always been done. Really? Well, why? Well, I don't know. So, um, yeah, just kind of a minor tangent on that. But, yeah, I think that there is an advantage there, indeed, of hiring from the outside. So, you know, let's see. Yeah, and just to wrap things up, sometimes new ideas aren't the worst thing in the world, and that would obviously <laughs> yeah. uh, that would obviously be the case if uh, Cristiano Gentoli does end up being hired by Juventus. So obviously, it's a uh, a story we'll be keeping track of both here on the podcast on the website. So, uh, no Twitter questions this week, unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately, we put put the post out, but nobody responded. So hopefully, we get a get a few uh, a few next week. That is putting out the advance call for some Twitter questions. Can we get a wellness check on David? <laughs> right where are the guys where are our regulars he's re he's really spry with these usually how's he right. doing is he okay right. hey summer's coming up maybe people are uh you know taking a little uh, early summer uh summer break <laughs> that's right that's right so uh you can send those twitter questions into us at juventus nation on the twitter machine follow us there as well as on facebook search black and white and red all over our blog handles you can also follow the fans first sports network at Fans first SN on Twitter. Follow us on your favorite podcasting platform by searching the Old Lady Speaks podcast, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to give us a lovely five star rating and a review. We always appreciate those. So for Sam, for Chucks, for Sergio, for producer Couch, I am your host, Danny, saying thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.